People of the Way is the theme of our message series that we've been working on. So for those of you jumping in halfway, we've been speaking about just the fact that the disciples in the early church weren't called Christians at first. In fact, they were called something entirely different. They were called the people of the way. And we see in Acts, or oh, the slide's coming up there, we see in Acts uh, 9 verse 2, uh, a letter being addressed to the synagogues, the churches of that time, the temples, and to the leadership of those temples to ask assistance um, for this individual called Saul to arrest people that were the followers of the way. And so they were being, they were being identified um, basically based on the fact that their lifestyles had become so radically different from the normal religious experiences of the day that they were identified by it. Um, they could be differentiated. And we were like, those are people of the way. In that, remember, the Jewish culture was a super religious culture. In other words, there was a very high more moral culture. People didn't want to do bad. They didn't want, there was laws against, you know, um, uh, uh, immorality, uh, unethical behavior. And, and, and so it wasn't a group of people that were like, you know, those people. No, no, these were the people that everybody looked to to find moral guidance and, you know, uh, upstanding citizenship. And yet the people that followed Jesus Christ were distinguished from that in such a radical way that they were called the people of the way. And so the question then is for us in today's religious environment, is it possible for people to see that you are a follower of the way? Different from what just the normal religious expression would be. And that requires you to actually take what we do here and live it out differently or live it out in the world and not just come every Sunday and kind of go like, oh yeah, tick that box. Um, there has to be an expression of these values, these truths, this way of life in your school, in your classroom, in your uh, teaching room, in your corporate room. Like I always think of, of the fact that you know sometimes people think that if you bring your Christianity in your business, your business will fail. No, your business will actually thrive. When you bring your corporate values into your boardroom, you'll start seeing that there's a value system embedded in the kingdom of God, in the household of God, in the economy of God that works in this life, in the business world. I dare you to try it. You know, G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, Christianity has not been found uh, wanting. No, uh, tried and found wanting. No, it's been found difficult and left untried. It's not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and just left untried. But let me tell you, if you try the kingdom of God in every single aspect of your life, you'll start seeing that it has incredible fruit incredible fruit on offer so the people of the way um, the first week we spoke about the way of Jesus Jesus was the one who introduced this new way of living uh, being about his father's business and his way was that of total surrender 
You hear him constantly saying, I'm here to do my father's bidding. I am about my father's business. Um, and the f- second week, we talked about Jesus being, the way of Jesus being spirit-led, spirit-filled, and spirit-empowered. And that there's this, this, this verse in the Bible that just, mm, man, it just, it just gets me and it, and it, and it propels me. It, it, sometimes it frustrates me and then sometimes it calls me and it pulls on me. And it's this verse that says that those who believe in me will do the works I did and greater things will they do. And I'm thinking, Lord, how the heck is that possible? <laughs> but I realize it's when the Spirit of God is on the inside of me, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside all of us. And maybe, just maybe, if, the, if I can become less and I can die to myself and I can, I can learn how to live in the surrender, then maybe, just maybe, I can start seeing some of the breakthroughs that comes with being empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles to speak to people, to bless and minister to people, to release them from hurts, from hang-ups, get them victory over stuff that is bothering them, holding them back. And like we saw this week when we prayed for little Annie, it was just incredible. It's like literally a switch that flips. And the minute she is literally, her, her whole chest cavity is, is convulsing and, and, and she's struggling for breath. And she's moaning and groaning under the pain and agony. And then the next little video you see of her is laughter. And just responding to her mama's touch. And what changed? Well, everybody prayed and and everybody did stuff. And the doctors made decisions that were all influenced by the Holy Spirit's guidance. And it worked. And it changed the situation around. In an instant, from being on a ventilator in ICU to the next morning, just breathing on her own. And laughing and being responsive. And then going home a couple of hours later. There are so many things that we can access in the kingdom of God. If we understand this way of life. If we understand the way that Jesus led and did things was different from what maybe even our religious environment, our typical Christianity in America might have have, have told us to. So today we're going to look at another aspect of Jesus' way, and that is how to be people that strive for significance. People that strive for significance. The word significance carries the meaning of importance, weight, and even influence on something or someone. So I want to ask you the question, would you say that you are an influencer? Okay, so some of you get it, but if you think, man, I'm not an influencer, it's probably because society has hijacked this meaning, the word. It's like, you know, social media influencer, you have to add at least a little blue check mark next to your name, right, on Instagram, or is it Twitter? I don't know who does the blue check mark thing, right? So society has redefined um, uh, what the mean, meaning is of the word influencer. Culture says influencers are celebrities, they're athletes, people of power, uh, people with means, economic means, fame, uh, and money. Um, and, and the world teaches us that to get significance to significance and to become people of influence, you have to, um, you have to seek prominence. You have to seek power, position, right? And, and, and you have to pursue pleasure. All the young people, if you don't pursue, if you're not a pursuer of pleasure and showing other people just how pleasurable your life is, 
then you're not going to be an influence. You're not going to live a life of significance. Jesus was not only the most powerful, most influential, influential person in history, but he was also the person that did uh, significance and the, 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 the pursuit of significance in the exact opposite way that society would tell us today we need to do to be able to live lives of influence and become significant. In fact, Jesus was not the most politically powerful. Think about it. Jesus was not socially famous at first. Second, Jesus was definitely not economically one of the most wealthy around. And yet the way that he lived literally made a bomb go off that has since then radically impacted all of the world, all of existence. They call it, there's a guy who wrote the book about this, he wrote it, The Grace Effect. If you'd like to read, go and read that book. It, 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 it talks about how the coming of Christ changed so many things for the better. F from how people saw children and valued children to how people see women and value women to how people see people that are subordinates to them and value people who are supportive. From the way people lead. Jesus' lifestyle changed so many things. And you know what's the funny thing? That, the th <laughs> that even people that don't believe in Christ believe in the things that he changed as being correct. They've hijacked it thinking that it was humanity's goodness that have brought these things about. But really when you take it back to its original root and the, 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 the start of change, it's like all of these changes and transformation we see in society, all the good things that are happening, if you bring it back down, you see one unifying event kick-starting all of these changes in society, and it's the birth, life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's had a tremendous impact in this world. So today we're going to look at how Jesus had this incredible um, different approach uh, to leading a life of significance by looking at the last meal he had with his disciples, the last supper. And we're going to learn from this what it means to live a life of significance. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn there, you can just watch on the screen. That's okay. John 13, verse 1 to 2 it says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that he was about to die. His hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So let's just pause here for a second and think about this moment. Jesus knows he's about to be arrested by the religious leaders. He knows he's about to be betrayed by Judas. He knows his disciples are about to abandon him. He knows Peter is about to deny him. He, he, he knows all of these things are about to happen, you know. Um, and yet, you see him in this moment just showing us again how to live a life of surrender, number one. Live led by the Spirit, powerfully empowered by the Spirit to do what He was called to do. But at the same time, the way He did it, showing us 
how we are to respond to our world and the way to live a life of significance. This was like a deathbed moment. Even though Jesus was fully alive, he knew he was about to go. And so he's certainly approaching it from that perspective. I'm about to go, y'all. Um, and, you know, he, he serves them the communion like we did today. He gives them the bread and tells them, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is my blood flowing, shedded for your sin. Receive it. As you do, you receive me. And they know the significance of this because he had taught on this before. If you don't eat my body, drink my blood, you're not worthy to be called my disciples. So they take it, they receive it because they have pledged their lives to this man. But you would think in this moment that the weight of what's happening would, <laughs> would somehow translate to the disciples just stepping up their game a little bit. But yet, what do we see in the response from the disciples? And so, I want to invite you to read in Luke 22 with me. A couple of verses. <laughs> it's here. This is the moment. In this moment, it says here, Then they began to argue about themselves. Who would be the greatest among them? <laughs> I'm like, man, that should have been a little bit more, <laughs> you know, more better, right? Is that... And they, I mean, there's, Jesus is about to, to leave earth. He's about to be horrifically, brutally treated and killed. And they get into this big old traka about who's going to be the main man. Okay? So, I know, I know, I know. That was a moment. Sorry. <laughs> for you <laughs> and Jesus' response is amazing this is his response in light of everything that he knows is about to happen and, and him seeing this almost spiritual delinquency play out before him he tells them, listen to me. He would have said today, let me tell you something. In this world, the kings and the great men lord it over people. Yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. It's like he's not asking them. He's like, y'all are going to shape up. It's going to be different here. You will be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Obviously the one who sits at the table, of course. But not here. For I am among you as one who serves. It's incredible. Jesus doesn't get mad. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He just tells them what greatness is going to look like with us. 
He doesn't tell them, no, don't try and be an influencer. Don't try and, and live a life of significance. He just tells them, let me just show you what is significance supposed to be. How are you supposed to pursue this significant life? And he shows them that the way of Jesus, the way of Christ, the way of the church should be servanthood. The way of Jesus is servanthood. And he doesn't just say that, y'all. And that this is the crazy thing about Jesus. He always modeled what he preached. Back to John 13, verse 4 and 5. says, so he got up. It's like a little show and tell. So I've told you now. Let me show you. And I believe in this as a, as a pattern. In this church, we, we tell, we show, we let, and then we correct. And then we tell again. And we show, we tell you, show you, let you, correct you. Tell me, show me, let me, correct me. Whenever there is a tell me, you need to start looking at, okay, so how is it being showed? And, and by the grace of God, we hope that we model what we preach here. But then there's a let me. There's a place of, all right, now you try. You do this. And as you continue to do this, inevitably mistakes or, or just a little, you know, things that don't happen exactly. And, and when there comes a correction, you need to know that, man, this is an honor to be corrected because it means that I have been trying to walk within the modeling of what was showed me. And then there's a redefinition. It's not that way, it's this way. This is what Jesus does. He gets up and he starts showing. He gets up from the table. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Now, I know Crocs is a big thing here in southern Louisiana. Um, I don't see any right now, but them, them disciples have been wearing some, you know, uh, some first century old, you know, crocs, uh, those New Testament crocs. And, and, and I don't know about you, but they weren't as soft and cushy as our, as our modern day crocs, right? Which, by the way, let me just ask you this. Does anybody know why the heck are they called crocs and not alleys or something? <laughs> Y'all don't even have crocodiles. Come on. Anyways. Somebody might hear that and start a new knockoff brand called Ali's. Um, <laughs> these boys' feet were filthy and calloused and rough. And yet, you don't see Jesus squirming away from performing a task that was literally reserved for people of literally a lower class citizen. But if we're not careful, yeah, we can, we can miss the, the, actual, the actual message behind this moment because the first point I want to make today is that the li- life of significance is, is more about a towel or towels than it are about titles. Okay? So, so if you think about the Roman culture, it was a very hierarchical culture. And within that culture, you know, you had people of, of, of status, and then you had kind of the normal people, and then you had people that were, uh, that were the paid slaves, and then you even had people that were, were, were unpaid slaves. They were just owned, and they just, you know, um, they, they didn't even um, 
get something for what they did. It wasn't service that they provided. They were just doing that because that's what they had to do because they were slaves. Um, similarly, in the Jewish culture, there were also people who were assigned tasks that were um, of a very lowly nature. And some of this was to, uh, to wash the feet of people that came visiting at uh, an abode, an, a, a house. Um, but it wasn't the master of the house that would do this, right? It was, it was the, maybe one of the youngest kids or uh, uh, the ones that were less, the least valued. And even if they had slaves, that would, be, that would be reserved for slaves. It was customary for slaves to wash feet. Nobody looked weird about it. They were just, it wasn't like, you know, uh, a matter of uh, even, even being derogatory. It was so socially acceptable that, you know, you would just come in and you would let the slave wash your feet and you would go about your business. You wouldn't pay him much attention because he was just doing what he was supposed to do. And you knew that that was what was customary. So Jesus... <laughs> Jesus just committed an act that was so culturally crazy that one of the disciples even refused him. Peter said, you are not washing my feet. What Peter was really saying is, I can't accept you stooping down so low. You are supposed to be my leader. You're supposed to be the one I revere and honor and have high regard for. And he felt that there was going to be something wrong in Jesus taking on this role for him. It was an order that he was uncomfortable with, an order shift that he was uncomfortable with making. Now, I don't know about you, and if, you if you've been in a, an environment like this, maybe where, where somebody would have, you know, maybe in a life group or something like that. We just happened way back in the day when we were, uh, you know, in, 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 in varsity. There would always be these feet washing things right oh my goodness i hated them um right so obviously now you know you hear the story and 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 you and you hear like you know, jesus washed feet so if jesus washed feet we need, we need to be washing feet right and so i'm like um something never sat right with that with me because i understood the understood the I understood the appeal of it, you know, to kind of just come and, you know, be love it, love people and serve people and, 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 and show this, that I'm accepting this low, um, you know, place and uh, regarding other people higher than me. But there was something about the feet washing part that didn't translate to me. Why? Because nobody washes other people's feet in our cultures. Right? So I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. for them... It meant something incredibly relevant. For us, it is more like a metaphor. So I started thinking to myself, what could be something in my day and age, in my culture, that I look down upon? Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not willing to do that. To honor somebody or to show that I am here to help serve or, or love somebody. And that kind of might be a little bit different for many of us, right? Like what are you not willing to do that makes you feel like, oh, that's me. That's stupid way too low. I ain't doing that. Like is it, is it maybe something like, you know, coming in and helping doing some setup or, or you know, maybe... 
teaching a children's class out there. Oh, that's for, that's for, you know, that's just for people that are, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's beneath me. So I don't want you to get hung up on the feet washing thing here. I want you to think of what do you deem yourself too good to do in order to serve people? Because that's what the message here really is about. Jesus said to live a life of significant, throw away that title and pick up a towel. What is the towel? Well, that is determined by whatever you think is beneath you to do. See, our to- a towel is whatever implement or whatever tool or whatever action you and I need to take to go and serve people in order to show them Jesus. Now, I'm sure every disciple walked into that room and they walked past that water basin. Why? Because that was just below them to do. We're followers of Jesus Christ for crying out loud. He is going to be the Lord of the earth. He's not going to be the the guy that restores the kingdom back to us. We're practically royalty. So why would we stoop so low as to to Jesus correct that attitude? And he's here to tell us today that if we want to be people of significance, if we want to be recognized different from our religious culture, that is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to pick up the towel and put down our titles and serve people in ways that we might feel uncomfortable socially doing. If we are too great to do little things, We're just too little to do the great things God has in store for us. God wants big people to do big things. But big people carry themselves differently than the religious order might suggest. Your gifts, your resources, your abilities are all towels that God has placed in your hand to serve people with. How are you going to use that? Because let me tell you something. He's not expecting you to bring him a clean towel one day. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you in this church who have picked up a towel. Let me tell you, there are so many more towels that are needing to be picked up in this place. Because we have a community that is dying to be served with the truth and the love and the way of Jesus Christ. Not the way Christians have been doing it for centuries. No, the way Jesus did it. If they were found different from the religious order of the day, then we have to be careful to never fall into a rut in going, well, that's the way my daddy did it, and that's the way their daddy did it, that's the way my church does it, that's the way that church does it. Our churches should conform to Jesus Christ and not create some other minimum standards that is okay according to man's you know, standards. No, we ought, to, we ought to dig deeper and see how did Jesus do this? You know, often when you are faithful with a towel, God ends up promoting you 
And when the promotions come, that doesn't mean that you put down the towel. That means that you hand out towels to many more. And you start modeling and showing how to use those towels. Let me tell you, if you're in a leadership position in this church, you haven't arrived. No, you've just been given a greater assignment that is now just including more people to serve again. You've been deemed worthy of serving more people. And the authority and responsibility that comes with your title is purely to help you perform the task. In fact, if the responsibility that you've been given gets neglected, the authority you've been given will be taken away. Because why do we have authority? Purely so that we can perform our responsibility. They're tied together. So never take a chip and put it on your shoulder as to say, well, I am this. No, let's rather take Jesus' position. I'm nothing. It doesn't matter what people call me, what title they put on me. I'm going to keep serving and keep doing what I know Jesus called me to do. Number two, a life of significance is about giving, not gaining. Okay, and so, so much of our, our Christian experience has unfortunately been, been marred by a self-centered focus. You know, that God is about my comforts and about my uh, in, uh, enjoyment in life. And we've taken the, the, the you know, almost that, 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 that creed of, of society. You know, we have these, we've been given these rights, the right to life, to, you know, the right to property and the right the right to the pursuit of happiness. And there is nothing more that God wants than for you to prosper, right? God loves the prosperity of His servant. But when your prosperity becomes your center focus, God takes issue with that. Because then you start worshiping your prosperity and your advancement above Him. It becomes an idol. And He just can't accept idols in our lives. And so the Bible says then, he starts resisting us. He starts resisting us until we come to repentance so that he can be the number one in our lives. So let me say this in Mark, read this in Mark 10 and continue some thoughts out of it. Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of this world, they lord it over people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Let me say this about something, something about authority here. I love speaking about parenthood, okay, and marriage and, and the dynamics in the home because I know everybody has, um, has to deal with that, has to deal with that. As parents, flaunting your authority over your children are very often the pathway to raising rebellious children. By telling your child that they have to obey you or respect you, from a position of authority, there's a fine line there that you've got to be aware of. There is a season in a child's life where because I said so is a valid response. But let me tell you, that season passes away 
around the age of five to six. And after that, the why questions need to be met with respectful, logical, reasonable responses for them to start understanding how come they feel a certain way about something and yet are asked to do something different. By not doing it, you're starting to suppress the development of decision-making based on a standard that eventually, if it gets frustrated too long, it will pop into, now I will make decisions without you giving me understanding. So if you have kids that are around the age of five, six, you'll start seeing them more and more challenging authority. That's not the time to go put a thumb on it and just tell them, because I said so, until the day you leave my house, my house, you will obey me, you will respect me, I am your parent. You're lining your life up for disaster. There comes a time when you need to start reasoning with your child and explaining. And if in that moment your explanations are not Bible-based, let me tell you something. They're going to find circles around your explanation. That's why parenting and the Bible and the principles of, the, of God's kingdom are so intertwined. You cannot parent without it. Because there's an appeal to your child's heart. Listen, this is the way that God loves for us to live. This is what honors God. And that's why I'm encouraging you, teaching you, training you, correcting you even, yes, still, if you don't do it. Why? Because I'm teaching you consequence for disobeying, but not really for disobeying me, for disobeying God's principles. And so, Quicker than you think, you need to start actually removing yourself out of that place of ultimate authority and start appealing to God's authority in the matter. Without making them feel bad, like, oh, Jesus is watching. No. Guess what, what happens to a child that are always told, Jesus is watching. He starts running. To see where he can hide from this watching Jesus. I'll unpack that. Just keep coming. Okay? Just keep coming. I'll unpack that more. We're not talking about that today. But this is important. Because you can lord it over people. Even in your own home. You can lord it over your wife. Not to be done. The way of Jesus is different. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's something that y'all need to know about this church. This includes Jennings, Eunice, us here in Crowley. This church is not about Pastor Josh, it's not about Pastor JJ, it's not about Pastor Jamie, Pastor Esther, and, and the pastors in the... It's not about us. This church is about all of us. This is your church. As much as it is my church, 
I'm also a member of our church. And I have a role in our church. Don't make it my church. It makes me a servant of this church. It makes me a, 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 a person that, that submits under what is my role here. And trying to live that role out the best way I possibly can. So every one of us here needs to hear this. This is, you can say, this is my church. This is your church. Um, and, and, and we live in this role very carefully. You know, they're, 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 when you get a title and you get authority, you can abuse that very easily. You can be manipulated very easily. That's something that you have to choose not to do. Let me tell you something. Once David's mighty men heard him kind of sigh, just, just a, a wish. He said, man, I wish I could have some water from that well in front of that city. Now, at the time, that city was occupied by the Philistines. And these three mighty men of David heard that. And, he, and they went rushing out. Without David's knowledge or consent, they just went. The Bible says they fought their way through these three men. They fought their way through, killed hundreds of Philistine people. Drew water from the well. Then by the time they turned around, these oaks were back. They fought their way out again, killed another hundred or so Philistines, came to David, and they're like, David, you wished for water from the well. We went and got it for you. David takes that container of water, and he goes, this devotion belongs to God and to God alone. I cannot take this offering you all are giving me. This is too much for any human to receive. Let me tell you something. Sometimes people will come and they will try to give you gifts and you have to just go like this. I'm sorry. This devotion is not for me to receive. I wish that you're rather this devoted to Jesus and to his purposes and to his kingdom. Forget about me. Honor the king. Respect the king. Live for the king. It's not about us. It's about him. Think about this. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. And he washed his feet anyway. <laughs> Jesus knew Peter would deny him. He washed his feet anyway. Jesus knew his disciples would abandon him. And he washed every single one of their feet anyway. The reason we're doing this is not because we're going to get something out of it. Even when we know we're going to get the exact opposite. We keep trying. We keep serving. We keep giving. How do you know if you have a heart of a servant? It's by how you respond when you're treated like one. Number three, a life of significance is about being the example, not trying to be the exception. Today, everybody tries to be the exception. 
okay? And so, <laughs> and so to be the exception, now you, like, you have to start doing pretty crazy things to be like, oh, wow, that's new. Oh, that's fresh. Oh, nobody has ever, you know, X, Y, and Z. I don't know what else, you know, what all people come up with these days to be exceptional. The call in the kingdom of God is not to try and be exceptional, but try to be the example. Jesus did not aim for prominence. He lived out his father's values. That draws attention, by the way. <laughs> it draws attention. Back to John 13, further on, 12 and 15. 12 to 15, after washing their feet, he put, on, he put on his robe and he sat down again and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus is saying, remember me, remember the towel, remember my example. And go and live my example. It's the example of heaven. Jesus left heaven and didn't count it as a disservice to himself to come and live a life confined by human restraints in order to serve us so that we might have life, so that we might have forgiveness. So as people of the way, all of our collective approach and collective effort needs to be to not confine no, no not conform to the patterns of hu, of, of, of i'm going to say this carefully not to not to confirm to um um what was the word conform not to conform to the patterns of not even just this world but even the pattern of religious worlds our task is to is to look to christ and conform to his pattern and live out his pattern in our religious environment. If, if, we, if we all behold Christ, what you behold, you, you end up becoming like. But if we go like, oh, you know, my church, we're just comfortable. Do Oh, you know, this is all I have to do. The kingdom of God beckons us. Come and become like Jesus. It's like if you all did done art as a, as a kid and you go like show your mom this amazing picture. Your mom go, wow, that's good. How would you get to draw that good? Oh, I'm just that good. Meanwhile, back there, you got this little trace, you know, thing going on. You, know? you put the paper on top of a picture and it kind of shines through and you go. Well, you know, we get to cheat like that. Okay, just take Jesus, put your life on top of it, and they just go. You don't even have to think much. You don't even have to understand everything. Obedience is primary to understanding. You can obey without understanding. In fact, that is a beautiful obedience if you don't fully understand, but yet you, you step out and obey. How did Jesus manage to live this selflessly and yet have such significance? I believe it's because Jesus' value didn't come from what he did, but from where he came from, whose he was. How that translates to us is that we don't, so we're not supposed to get our value from what we do, what people say of us, what we are successful in, but our value comes from who we belong to. 
if I truly see myself as a son of God, then I can walk into any and every situation. And I'm not, I'm not judging the room based on where I fit into it economically, where I fit into it socially, where I fit into it positionally. I'm judging a room based on who is kingdom of light and who is kingdom of darkness. Who needs Jesus' love and who needs his information? Who needs his truth? Who needs to be conform, confirmed and encouraged? That's the only judgment I make. I see children of God, not yet children of God. Love those people. Conf uh, encourage these people. And as a son of God, I try my best to, to, to go into that situation. And whatever I do, through whatever I do, whether it's through budget meetings, whether it's through governance meetings, whether it's through staff meeting, whether it's through teaching, whether it's through sitting in a class and, and being a good student, whatever I do, I try to do that in a way that shows that I am part of a different way. A way that chooses to honor God above everything. Live according to His moral standards and ethics. Jesus knew that the Father had given Him authority, John 13 says, over everything. And He didn't have to come and compete with anybody. When you understand who you are and what you're called to do, it takes competition out of the story. It's like there's so much competition in the church. That's ridiculous. Why is there competition in the church? Because everybody is fighting over the same Christians. Instead of trying to see who else isn't a Christian yet and how can we save them. So I don't want y'all to be bothered about any Christian in town. Unless they're backsliding. We've got to go serve the people who don't know Jesus yet. We've got to build the kingdom, not reshuffle the deck. If they need to come here, it's because God is calling them to become a part of this. Not because we're pursuing them to become a part of this. But our focus is going to be on the lost. And on the people who are dying, people who are in bondage, people who are stuck... And we're going to proclaim to them, Jesus can help you with this. Our door is open for everybody. I hope you all don't hear the wrong thing here. I'm talking about our intention. Our intention is not to try and rip all the other churches off their members. They're serving Jesus. They're getting the truth. They're getting, uh, they're getting led. Our calling is to, to extend the kingdom of God to those who don't know him yet. It's interesting in Matthew 25 talking about the story of the, the master who gave his, his servants um, st something to do. And, and he comes back and, and they report what they had done. And, and his response to the ones who pleased him was this. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It's incredible how he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He didn't say, well done, good and faithful um, company owner. Well done, good and faithful millionaire. Well done, good and faithful uh, boss. Well done, good and faithful teacher. Put your title in there. Well done, good and faithful parent. None of that is mentioned. What's mentioned is, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You took what you had and you served people and people learned the way that you were living was different based on the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is your motivation. That is your reason for being different. Not because you are cute and you know, nice yourself. Sometimes we just mess those moments up like, man, you're such a great guy. Well, thank you. It's time to point to Christ. As people of the way, we've got to stop asking, what can people do for me? And start asking, how can we help people? What can I do for you? In this room, ask not, what can God do for me? But ask, how can I contribute to what God is doing here? Outside there, Ask not, how can God bless and prosper me? Ask, Lord, how can I bring your kingdom in whatever I am involved in out there? How can I show people how to live out this way? Show me my towel. Show me how you want me to go and bless other people and serve other people. And give me that opportunity to tell them why I'm doing this. So it'll be clear, crystal clear. I'm not just doing this because I'm nice. I am doing this because I want to honor you and point people toward you. For us to become people of significance, we've got to take up our towels. Stop aiming for just personal gain. And learn how to be the example out there. And as we do that, we're going to see God move. We're going to see people wanting to know, what do you have? What are you, why are you this different? Why are you full of hope when everything around us is going to, going to trash? You speak differently to yourself. You don't, you don't trash yourself when you do things wrong. I need to do that a little bit more. People pick it up. When it's different, they pick it up. Let's be different. In fact, did you know the word holy actually means being different. It doesn't mean you're just morally perfect, even though that does also what it means, but it's, it means that you're set apart. You are set apart. You're of a different category. That's what we called for. Let it be distinguishable. Don't be afraid that people see and notice that you're different. We sometimes think, no, that's going to be not humble. Don't let the devil lie to you. That's false humility he's referring to. You being a son of God that stands out and shows how to honor the king in a way that does not pass condemnation on anybody else around you, but shows how things ought to be and could be if the honor of God is a primary focus. That is exactly what God wants from us so that we will be distinguishable as people of the way. In doing so, our lives will start influencing others. And we will live lives of significance that changes people, that gives people hope, that gives people a path to break through, to break out of whatever they're stuck in and struggling with. You all with me? All right, let's stand together today as we pray. Heavenly Father, we, we acknowledge you as our King, as our Lord. We thank you that 
we know we know how you served we know how you you contradicted the the the, the common ways of of doing life and, and, and serving people and and performing your task that you had here on earth. You did it so differently. It's so counterintuitive. You taught us a completely new way, the way of your kingdom. Father, we pray that you will teach us that way. Teach us how to live lives of servanthood. Show us this week, God, how we've been We've been sidestepping certain things that really if we should do it, if we would do it, would serve people. If we would step into it, would show people that we're of a different spirit. We have, we have a different leader. And that our lives seek to glorify and honor Him through our actions, through our willingness to take up our towels and serve not seek preeminence or, pref or, 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 or um, prominence, but seek ways to love on people. Seek ways to, to open up doors for people. We pray, God, as you, as you bless our church with this understanding, that, that we will see so many people's lives touched, so many people's lives changed, reordered, in line with your kingdom, with your plan for their lives, God. We pray that we might see the lost saved. We pray that we might see the hurting healed, God. But we pray that we might see backsliding Christians reinvigorate and commit their lives to serving you with everything in them. God, we pray that we might see our children passionately serve you because of how we served them how we modeled for them. We pray that our marriages might be so strong because of how we've served each other, how we've submitted to one another, how we've preferred one another over our own comforts and our own rights. We pray that your kingdom will come in our lives and your way will come and transform us, God. Let us see your kingdom come in our in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.